Hello. Welcome to the Myths and Legends of Europe. Before we start this chapter, I'd just like to introduce you to something which I think you'll find very interesting. If you're interested in developing a habit of reading classic books by authors like Homer, Nietzsche, Cicero, Spinoza and many more, go to my website www.mythandhistory.co.uk and click on the Intellectual Linear Progression banner. ILP is designed to help you develop a regular habit of reading the great books. Weekly reading goals, reminders, accountability tools and a dedicated community of fellow readers help keep you on track and on schedule with your reading. The check-in and reading goal system is designed to help you progress through the great books with just three one-hour reading sessions each week. Every month, they will ship a carefully selected edition of one of the great books directly to your home. They begin with Homer and progress through works by Plato, Aristotle, Descartes, Shakespeare and through to the moderns. The first book you'll get will be a copy of the Iliad, which of course is very appropriate to this podcast series. Each month you'll meet in a two-hour video conference to discuss your text with a small community of readers in a Socratic seminar led by a trained Socratic host. So, if you are interested in developing a lifelong habit of reading and studying the great books, go to www.mythandhistory.co.uk and click on the ILP banner. That will take you to the site where you enter the promo code MYTH, that's M-Y-T-H, all capital letters. If you do that, you'll get 25% off your first three-month subscription to this great service. OK, on with the chapter. Hello, welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece, Chapter 6, Men, Mortality and Meddling. In the first five chapters of our story, we have introduced the gods, the earth, the mortals and the underworld. The Greeks also had myths about how the various different Greek people came into being, so let's hear about some of them. The early men didn't behave as Zeus wanted, so he decided it was time to get rid of them. He had already created at least one race of men, so he probably thought it was okay to dispose of them all and start again. The final straw for the king of the gods was when Lycaon, a king of Arcadia, tried to get Zeus to eat the flesh of a small child. Fortunately for the child, Zeus found out about the trick and was extremely annoyed. He blasted the king's family with thunderbolts and then turned Lycaon into a wolf. He then visited the family of Lycaon, disguised as a poor traveller. The sons of the dead king were no better than their father, and they also tried to feed him human flesh. It was even worse this time, as they killed their own brother, and mixed his remains with the guts of a sheep, which they then tried to feed to Zeus. The king of the gods spotted what was going on, and decided that all men were dreadful, and the whole lot had to go. He had a bit of a think, and came up with the idea that a nice big flood would do the job. He made up his mind, and planned to flood the earth in a few days' time. Somehow, nobody is sure quite how, the titan Prometheus heard about Zeus's plans. Now, as we know, Prometheus liked humans, and he was determined to save them. The titan had a mortal son called Deucalion, king of Pythia, who visited his his tormented father. Prometheus warned Deucalion of the plans of Zeus, and told him to build a huge boat called an ark and stock it with food. Deucalion built his ark in record time, and crammed it full of all the food he could find. He then boarded it, along with his wife Pyrrha. He was only just in time. The south wind blew, and the rains came. 
the water rose with astonishing speed, covering every farm, city and building ever created by the mortals. Soon it seemed that the entire world had been washed away, except for a few mountain tops sticking up through the water. All of the mortals were gone. Except, of course, Deucalion and Pyrrha. For nine days and nine nights the ark floated on the new water. Then, and only then, did the water start to subside, and more and more land came into view. Deucalion sent out a dove to look around and reassure him the water was really retreating. The dove returned and said yes, it really was. The water got lower and lower until the ark finally came to rest on Mount Parnassus. Deucalion and Pyrrha were delighted and offered a sacrifice to Zeus. Then they left the ark and walked again on dry land. This was great for the two of them, but the human race was in trouble. It was a bit of a responsibility for two people to have to begin the human race over again. So they pleaded with Zeus that mankind be allowed another go. Zeus was moved and he sent down Hermes to see the couple to see what he could do. Hermes summoned Themis, who said to the two surviving humans, Shroud your heads and throw the bones of your mother behind you. Deucalion and Pyrrha were a bit confused by this, for two main reasons. First, they did not have the same mother. Second, both of their mothers were lost in the flood, and they had no idea where the bones might be. They scratched their heads for a few minutes before they decided that Themis was referring to Mother Earth, not their actual mothers. Hoping for the best, they picked up some piles of stones and threw them over their shoulders. From the stones sprang up people, thousands of them. The stones thrown by Deucalion became men, and those thrown by Pyrrha became women. The human race was saved. It was not the people made of stone, but the children of Deucalion and Pyrrha, who had the biggest part to play in the future, though. They had quite a few children, the most important of which was called Helen. Now, do you know what the Greeks call themselves? Do you know what the Greeks call Greece? Well, if you look at a Greek stamp, you will see the word Hellas. Hellas is what the Greeks call Greece, and they call themselves Hellenes. All of these words come from Helen. One of the granddaughters of Deucalion has a big part to play in our story. She was called Tyro. Her father, Salmonius, founded a city called Salmone, but it all went to his head a bit. He decided that he was as good as Zeus, and everyone should see him as the equal of Zeus. Oh dear, we've seen this happen before, haven't we? Anyone who thinks he's as good as an Olympian god generally gets punished. Remember Apollo and poor Marcius? And this was worse. It was Zeus. Salmonius had dried animal skins and pots tied to his chariot, so that when he drove around it sounded like thunder and lightning, just like the thunder and lightning of Zeus. He ordered the people of his city to make sacrifices to him and not to the gods. Zeus didn't bother to think for too long, or make Salmonius suffer. No, he just struck him down with a lightning bolt. His city and all of its people were also destroyed. All that is, except Tyro. She had opposed her father's silliness, and so Zeus spared her life, and sent her to live with her uncle, Cretheus. There, she gave birth to two sons of Poseidon. Like many before her, she was embarrassed when the children were born, and left them outside to die. There they were found by a horse-breeder, who gave them the names Pelias and Neleus. Pelias was given his name because of the mark on his face called a Pelion, which he had got from the kick of a horse. The two boys were badly treated by their stepmother, and when they grew up, they decided to punish her. They chased her, but she fled to the temple of Hera. 
Pelias followed his stepmother there and killed her on the altar. Hera was horrified that Pelias had done the deed in her holy place, and she hated Pelias from that day on. Tyro married Cretheus, and they had three more sons, which she was much less embarrassed about, and she lived happily for the rest of her life. Once she and Cretheus died, though, things were not so happy in the kingdom of Iolcos. One of these sons, Ison, should have become king when Cretheus died, but Pelias seized the throne from his half-brother. Ison continued to live in Iolcos, but soon had a son himself. He was very worried that Pelias would kill the child, so he pretended it had been born dead and sent him to be brought up by Chiron the centaur. Pelias reigned as king for a long time, but the son of Ison would eventually come back and avenge his father, helped by Hera. And what was this child's name? Well, his name was Jason. We will meet him later in our story when we hear the tale of the quest for the Golden Fleece. The gods continue to meddle in the lives of Deucalion and his family. One of his descendants was called Io, and she was the beautiful daughter of the river god Inachos. Zeus thought she was gorgeous and wanted her to like him. Being a god, he could do this in any way he chose, and he decided to make Io dream about him every night. Every morning the poor girl would wake up bewildered, wondering why she kept dreaming about meeting Zeus in the grassy meadows of a place called Lerna. Hera, as usual, found out what Zeus was doing, and turned Io into a white cow, and then demanded that Zeus give the cow to her as a gift. Zeus was a bit miffed, but he realised that Hera had played this game much better than him, and so he reluctantly agreed. Hera sent a monster called Argos to keep watch over Io and make sure that Zeus didn't go anywhere near her. Argos had a hundred eyes and only two of them slept at any time. He could see anything in all directions and so he was a very good lookout. He did a good job and Zeus never managed to get close to Io. Eventually Zeus had had enough and he was feeling sorry for Io so he sent Hermes to kill Argos. The clever Olympian realised this task was going to be a bit tough so, as usual, he came up with a trick. He disguised himself and went to see Argos. Here he told the hundred-eyed monster the story of Syrinx the nymph. He played the panpipes beautifully and soothingly as he told the story, which made the monster feel sleepy. One by one by one, the eyes of Argos began to close. As soon as the last one had closed and the monster was completely asleep, Hermes struck off his head with a sickle. Hera was grateful to the creature for his service and set his hundred eyes in the tail of a bird, which became the peacock. Zeus was now free to chase Io again, but Hera cursed her to be ever tormented by a fly, so she never stayed still long enough for the king of the gods to catch up with her. Io wandered the earth trying to get rid of the fly and eventually found her way to the rocky place where poor Prometheus was chained. The god of foresight told the white cow that she had many more travels ahead of her. She would cross the channel which derides Europe from Asia and then travel to the end of the world and visit the lands of the Greyeye and the Gorgons, among many others. She would eventually end up in Egypt, where she would become human again. Io did cross the channel, and to this day it has become known as the Cowford, or the Bosphorus. Eventually she did indeed arrive in Egypt, and there Zeus found her. He transformed her back into a human, and allowed her to marry a man called Telegonus. One of Io's descendants was called Abbas, and he became king of the kingdom of Argos. He said that when he died, he'd leave the kingdom to his twin sons, who were called Acrisios and Proitos. 
Unfortunately, the boys hated each other. They had fought even when they were still inside their mother and had not been born. When they were born, it just got worse. It was very clear that these two would not be able to share the throne. The brothers, though, eventually came to an agreement, and because they could not share, they split the kingdom between them. They did not have the good fortune to live peacefully and happily, though. Both of them suffered for their actions. Proitos eventually had to share his half of the kingdom with a man who cured his daughters of madness, while Acrisios continued to rule his half. Acrisios yearned to have a son, but his wife only gave birth to a daughter, who was called Danae. Acrisios consulted an oracle to see how he could get a son, but as usual, he didn't get the answer he wanted. Oh no, he didn't get the answer he wanted, at all. In fact, he got a bit of a shock. He was told that he wouldn't have a son, but his daughter would. This sounds okay, but the last bit of the prophecy was not so good. Acrisios was told that his grandson would kill him. Acrisios decided the one way to prevent the prophecy was to keep Danae away from all men, so there was no chance of her having any children. Great idea, Acrisios! Except, of course, for one little tiny detail. He may be able to keep Danae away from men, but he couldn't keep her away from the gods. Zeus turned himself into a shower of golden rain so he could get into her room, and a few months later they had a son. Acrisios was horrified, and he shut Danae in the baby in a chest and threw it out to sea. Zeus, of course, wasn't going to let his son drown, so he protected the chest and it washed up on the shores of the island of Seraphos, where it became lodged in the fishing nets of Dictys, brother of the local king Polydectes. Dictys looked after them both, and the child grew up to be a fine man. In Greek mythology, prophecies always come true. Poor Acrisios was to suffer the fate that had been predicted, but not quite in the way might have been expected. He would be killed by Danae's son, but only by accident, and only after the boy, who was called Perseus, had many other adventures. Next time, we will hear the story of Perseus. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you soon.